following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Welcome, IBC. My name is Craig. So glad that you're here with us, whether you're in the room or you're watching us online. Thanks for being a part of this um, at the end of the bookend of the end of the spring break for many of us, and yet we're under a freeze warning this morning. So who can uh, ever guess what Texas weather is going to be doing? So how are you doing today? Good. Well, we are four weeks into our Lenten series that we're calling Beneath the Surface, where we're looking at the common answers that people give to that very question, how are you doing? And recognizing that oftentimes there's something deeper going on beneath the surface when we just give those pat standard answers that we're so prone to give. And part of our spiritual, emotional, and relational health is taking time to get some clarity and understanding around what's going on beneath the surface. But here's what's happening for me and maybe for you too. Here we are into our fourth week and people ask me, how are you doing? And I don't know how to answer the question anymore. I'm afraid to answer it because Barry's kind of unmasked some of my favorite go-to responses, right? I'm fine or I'm busy or I'm exhausted. And so I don't know what to say to people when they say, how are you doing? As a matter of fact, if you were to ask me, how am I doing? I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm a little anxious. I'm a little stressed. I'm a little worried that I'm gonna give the wrong answer to the question. And my guess is that some of you might use those exact same three words to describe if you were really honest about how you're doing today, that you recognize you may be operating out of a daily sense of just this underlying uh, stress and worry and anxiety, particularly given the cultural moment that we're in, right? For me, even standing up here speaking in front of you, my brain is just swirling with constantly second-guessing everything that's coming out of my mouth. What if I say the wrong thing? Can I even say that in 2023? What if I offend somebody? What if I, I just offended somebody by saying that I might offend somebody? What if my water bottle gets mixed up with Jason's water bottle and I drink from his water bottle and then I go down this whole what-if rabbit trail, but I can't spend too much time on that because every time I look at my phone, I'm reminded I have over 34,000 unopened emails. And I don't know what to do with those. I wish I could just wipe out my entire account. But what if I miss an important email? What if Publishers Clearinghouse is trying to get a hold of me and I've won millions of dollars? And at the same time, I'm getting texts all day long. Why did I ever agree to get on my wife's family's text thread that has 50 people on it. So if somebody has a birthday, it just blows up my phone all day long and I can't leave it because then it'll send out the message. Craig Pierce has left the conversation and I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, right? And then there's all the bills that I've got to pay this month. What if I forget to pay a bill, that credit card bill, and it ruins my credit store and I can never buy anything ever again? And what if I forgot to pay my house payment and the Fed show up to repossess my house? Why have I not put that on automatic payment? It's 2023 and I'm like a caveman trying to send paper checks to the, the mortgage company. And what about my retirement plan? How's that going for me? I'd be a millionaire now if I would have just listened to Dave Ramsby 40 years ago and opened up that you know, savings account, but it's too late now. What if I spend the rest of my life having to work just to make ends meet? Welcome to how my neurotic brain works. So how are you feeling? A little stressed? A little anxious, a little anxious about being anxious. Uh, you know, I think it tends to be an epidemic in our world today. Statistics are out there like 62% of college students would say they are overwhelmingly anxious. 
It's been estimated 75 to 90% of hospital visits are directly tied to anxiety and stress. We spend about a trillion dollars a year treating anxiety problems in our culture. And then you look at some of the symptoms of anxiety, and that just makes me anxious because they all seem to fit me, right? There's nervousness and fear and irritability and sleeplessness and overwhelmed and obsessive thoughts. And I'm like, check, check, check. And then there's the, the physical symptoms, aches, pains, stiffness, forgetfulness, breathing difficulties, concentration problems, forgetfulness, uh, digestive <laughs> issues, low energy, weight gain, forgetfulness. I don't, have I said forgetfulness? I can't even remember. But here's the deal. We all struggle with some level of anxiety at points in our lives. Um, and in a room this size, I realize we're all over the map on where you are on the anxiety spectrum. For some of you, your anxiety is a bad commute. And so it means you're a little irritable and worn out when you get home. But for others of you, uh, you wake up every night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., staring at the ceiling, thoughts swirling around in your head. You can't get back to sleep. And for some of you, you are living almost a daily sense of fight or flight. That's just 24-7. The what-ifs are on constant repeat in your brain because that's what anxiety does. See, anxiety is different than fear. They're cousins, but fear is a response to a specific identifiable threat. Like a couple of weeks ago, my brother was in town and from Atlanta and we were going on a morning walk and we were in the neighborhood and we came around a corner and this uh, beast comes around the corner that looks half German shepherd, half wolf. And there's no owner tied to it. There's no leash on it. And it's just comes around and stares at me. And, and I think I startled it as much as it startled me, but I just stood there in fear. I just froze up because I thought, I don't know what to do here. I, I can turn around and run, but I can't outrun this wolf creature here. And as I started to turn, I caught my brother out of the corner of my eye and I thought, but I can't outrun my brother, right? Because <laughs> he's bigger and older. So, uh, you know, but that's what fear is. Anxiety, on the other hand, is this more general sense of just angst and worry over all the things that could be, over all the what ifs. Anxiety would say, never go on a walk again, because what if there's one of those creatures around every corner? Or what if you can't outrun your brother? I love the way that Max Licato defines it. He says, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Anxiety is a trepidation, it's a suspicion, it's an apprehension. You're part chicken little and part Eeyore. The sky is falling and it's falling disproportionately on you. Now, maybe you've been diagnosed with a anxiety disorder where professional help and counseling is required, medication, there's nothing wrong with that. Contrary to what you may have heard or been taught, anxiety is not always a spiritual issue. Sometimes it's a physical issue. My degree is in counseling. I worked a couple of years at the counseling center at University of North Texas and figured out pretty quickly as students would come in that sometimes counseling was the answer to anxiety, but other times medication was the answer. And sometimes a combination of counseling and anxiety was the best answer. I like the way Becky Thompson puts it. She says, sometimes we're praying for restored hearts when what we should be praying for is restored serotonin levels. Because look, anxiety is not a sin. Jesus himself experienced feelings of anxiety because it's just part of the human experience. But it is often a signal that there's something going on deeper down under that we should be paying attention to. And regardless of where you are on the scale of anxiety, I believe that the Bible has something to say to every one of us who's hearing my voice today. And this is what I know. I know that God wants you to experience a deeper level of his peace. 
And so that's my prayer for us as we dive into this complex subject of anxiety. Now, I don't know how you read your books. You may read them the old-fashioned way, paperback, hardback, or you may listen to them on Audible, or you may use an electronic device like a Kindle or an iBook. But if you use an electronic device, you're probably aware that there's a feature on them where you can highlight different passages as you go through a book. And it's kind of a cool feature because at the end of it all, you have a page of everything that you've highlighted while you've read the book. Now, what you may not know is they keep track of that. And so they know what was highlighted from what book. And what's interesting is that one of the most all-time highlighted passages from any book is from The Hunger Games, book two. And the, and the quote is this, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with it. Now, can't you just picture somebody reading that book and they get to that sentence and they stop and they read it again because somewhere inside that seems to be resonating and so they click on it. Maybe it's the student who's overwhelmed with the coursework at the time or the young person who's trying to navigate a recent breakup or the wife whose husband has had an affair or the parent whose child has gone in a wayward direction or the medical diagnosis that seemed to come out of nowhere or the loss of that loved one. And you know what? They're just trying to escape the pain through the pages of a novel, but they come across that sentence and something just in them recognizes how true that really is, that sometimes there are things that happen to us that we're just not equipped to deal with. Now, interestingly, they also keep track of passages that people highlight from scripture through the Bible. Now, you may think that the most highlighted passage of scripture are those ones we're most familiar with. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But the most highlighted passage of scripture happens to be Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will begin to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. The most highlighted section of any book is a passage that says sometimes things happen in life that we're not equipped to deal with. And the most highlighted passage of scripture is do not be anxious about anything. And I think therein lies the conundrum, the tension that we feel as Christ followers because we recognize there are things that happen in this life that we're not equipped to deal with that cause us to be anxious and tense. And at the same time, scripture's telling us don't be anxious about anything. And that sounds great, but honestly, it comes across as a little simplistic, a little trite, a little uh, almost insensitive. Like, like, what do you mean? Don't be anxious about anything. I'm not doing this on purpose, right? It's just who I am. In the words of that theologian, Pi Pi, I am who I am. And I'm, that's all I am. I'm just anxious, right? I can't help it. And sadly, some, maybe even some of you, have been shamed and made to feel less than uh, particularly in the Christian community because you regularly experience anxiety. And you've been told things like, well, if you just had more faith or what's the matter with you? Scripture says, don't be anxious. Why are you not following the command of scripture? Do not be anxious. So just stop it. But I want to suggest that perhaps we missed the tone and the intention of that familiar passage when we understand it to be this command from God. You know, my dad used to have a saying with me, um, and he was great at commands, by the way, uh, that he would say to me or one of my siblings if we got upset to the point of crying, not uh, something that today would probably be considered almost 
bordering on child abuse, but back then was kind of common, I think. Um, you, you may recognize this if you're from my era, but if we got to a point where we were upset to crying, he would say something like, hey, don't cry. You wanna cry? I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you something to cry about. Great parenting technique, by the way. But it was spoken like a command, right? Stop it, stop crying right now. What's wrong with you? Which I think is the way many of us hear this passage. Stop feeling anxious right now. But you know, my mom could say those same two words, come across totally different, a different tone, different meaning, but the same words, don't cry. If I got upset to the point of crying, oftentimes she'd just plop me up on her lap, wrap her arms around me and kind of whisper in my ear, hey, don't cry, Craig, don't cry. It'll be okay. I'm here. We'll get through this together. No big deal. And I think as the Spirit of God prompted Paul to write those familiar words, I just have to think that the tone and intention was more like my mom. That it was God saying, hey, you're feeling anxious. You're worried. You're stressed out. Don't be anxious. I'm here. Let's talk about it. Pray about it. Let's, uh, we'll get through this together. I think it's why Peter would later write, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But how do we do that? How do we lean into God's promise of peace even in the midst of the turmoil and the fear and the uncertainty that causes this thing that we call anxiety? And you have to understand this is a process. You're not gonna leave a 30 minute talk today completely free from fear and anxiety. But I do believe, like I said, that God wants you to experience a greater degree of his peace this morning to open yourself up to the possibility that God can work in supernatural ways through his word, through his spirit, to breathe his peace over your soul, over your life, even this morning. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles or your device, we're gonna be in Psalms 42. It's a Psalms that I think reflects what we're talking about. The opening words of this Psalm, if you grew up in church, you're probably gonna be familiar with. It's one that I've always read my entire life just thinking it's the psalmist saying, hey, I just want more of God. And it's a beautiful Psalm and it's one that I've spoken, but I don't know that I've ever looked at the context that it's written in to understand that the psalmist is actually in a struggle in this internal struggle as he talks about what, what's happening here. And specifically, he's writing as someone who's known the goodness of God, but now feels like they're under the weight and the pressure of the world. So they've had this mountaintop experience with God, but now they find themselves in the valley. And so the struggle plays out like this. He writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of the God under the protection of the mighty one with, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I think the psalmist here is giving us a snapshot of a lot of our journeys, that I've been there, but now I'm here. And I wanna get back there, but I don't know how to get back there. And there's this refrain of why be downcast, oh my soul, which I think is just this great picture of what anxiety feels like and what it does to us. Because when we are downcast, we are literally looking down at the situation, at our problem, at whatever's making us anxious. And our anxiety has a way of magnifying whatever challenge or situation we get focused in on. Louis Giglio, a a pastor and speaker, who informed a lot of what I'm talking about today, talks about a a relatively new phenomenon called tech neck. Have you heard about this? Uh, It's apparently sweeping across the globe. It refers to how the weight of our head and the pressure that it puts on our cervical spine increases with the angle of our downcastness. So as we look down at our phones, at our computer screens, texting and scrolling or doing whatever, as we angle our heads in the downcast direction, the normal human head, which weighs about 12 pounds, begins to put more pressure on our spine. And you just think about how often people are looking down. I mean, just go into a mall. We were at the mall yesterday and everybody's just sitting there looking at their phone. An airport, an airplane. I walk past a bus stop every morning when we go on our walk and there's about 15 middle school, high school students standing there waiting for the bus and they're all looking down at their screens. Nobody's having a conversation with each other like we used to do back in the good days, right? When we didn't have school buses and we had to walk to school in 10 miles of snow and all of that. But everyone's looking down at their phone. And recent research has come out and said that if the head tilts 15 degrees, your 12 pound head now is putting 27 pounds of weight on your spine. At 30 degrees, it's putting 40 pounds of weight. At at 60 degrees, it's putting putting 60 pounds. So now your 12 pound head is putting 60 pounds of weight on your shoulders. And it's the same with your soul. The more we look down, something that is a real issue and maybe weighs about 12 pounds now feels like it weighs about 60 pounds and it begins to overwhelm us. And the psalmist says, why be downcast? But I think God would say to us, lift your head up. There's a recent article in Psychology Today that was entitled, Look Up, The Surprising Joy of Raising Your Gaze. And in it, the author explains just the simple act of looking up at the sky how, how health, healthy that is for us, that it reduces the stress, that it reframes our circumstances in a more helpful and positive way. But nobody looks up anymore. What I think God wants to say to those of us this morning who find ourselves downcast is that part of learning to experience his peace is to begin learning how to once again lift our gaze up to him That's why the psalmist would say, hey, I'll lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But how do we do that? Well, I just wanna pull out three things out of this psalm that I think are great suggestions for how to start learning to lift your gaze to God. And the first one we see in the psalm is this. We remember the bigger story that we're in. See, anxiety wants to define your whole existence by the paragraph that you're in or by the page that you're on right now. And look, we all have really hard chapters in life, don't we? And what the enemy wants to do is define your entire story by that chapter. 
And what God says is that you need to remember you're in a bigger story than that. You're in a bigger story than just your story. The psalmist says, my soul is downcast, but I will remember you. You know, one of the most rehabilitative and encouraging forces in your life is your memory. As you think back over the faithfulness of God in your life, back then, right now, and and you can be assured he'll be faithful in the future. I think it's why in the Old Testament, he says to his people things like, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he doing? He's just reminding them, hey, people, remember how faithful I've been to you, how faithful I am right now. You can be confident that I will continue to be faithful in your future. Remember, you're in the big story of a big God. And yes, you may be in a chapter right now that's difficult, a chapter called cancer, or a chapter called I'm going through a divorce, or a chapter called financially my life is a mess. And that is in the story, but it is not the entire story. And you can take control of that by reminding yourself of the bigger story. That this paragraph I'm in may not be great, But the big story is great. I was created by a God who loves me and he's coming back for me and my future is secure with him and one day I will live in glory with him and there will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more tears, no more anxiety. And I may not be okay right now. And listen, it's okay to not be okay. But never forget, Jesus is okay. He's doing just fine and he's got this and he's got you And then if you've heard that new song by Shane and Shane, I just love it. So oftentimes I'm just sitting here trying to fight a war that's already been won. He triumphs over everything that's coming your way today. So part of lifting up your gaze is just reminding yourself of that bigger story. Second thing I think we can pull out of here is that we need to immerse ourselves in praise and worship. He writes in verse five, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And look at his remedy. He says, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. There's just something about worship, isn't there, that just squeezes out worry. I'm not even sure the two can coexist with each other. You know, I woke up this morning. When I wake up on a day where I'm gonna be speaking um, like this, I wake up very anxious because I know in two hours I'm going to be standing up here. And, and again, what if I blow it? What if I make a complete fool of myself? And that's at the forefront of my mind. And for good reason, because that's not just some thing, you know, pie in the sky thing that I think might happen. It has actually happened up here. And some of you have been witness to it. Uh, we have an example right here that I'll let them roll the tape. And I hope you leave here today encouraged by this message because I want everyone to leave here reminded that we serve a God who sees you and who loves you and who wants what's best for you and who has the power to bring healing into your life. Hello, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. But we're in this series entitled... I got into a porky pig moment, right? Of just a bidi a bidi a bidi be And my... My default mode of escape out of that was to say bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. <laughs> you can't recover from that. And now, you know, I, I see some of y'all in town square and I just think, I wonder if they're thinking as they pass by me, well, there's the guy that just bibbidi-bobbidi-booed us. You know, what, what's his deal? And so uh, the what ifs start playing on repeat. Like, what if that happens again? And so my stomach starts churning and I come into this room and I sit over there and I'm by the exit door and I'm thinking, there's an exit door, right? My car's parked right out there. Nobody's gonna know if I just slip out real quietly. But then the worship starts. 
And it refocuses my attention and my affection on him and off of me. And you know, sometimes we get so anxious or worried, we don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like praising. And, and that's okay. Because there's a lot of other amazing anointed singers who can do it for you. You can go to Spotify. You can tune in to Way FM or Air One Radio or Apple Music and just push play. Just tune in. Or even better than that, show up here every Sunday because Crystal and Jason and that whole team are bringing it every week and they're ushering us into the throne room of God. And there will be others around you in this room who are singing and worshiping even when you don't feel like it. And again, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have anxious thoughts and feelings. The problem comes when we let those feelings take the lead in our lives. When we let those feelings begin to define us, anxiety and worry and sadness are real and they are a real part of our lives, but I will not let them take the pen and write the story of today. And one of the ways I fight against that is immersing myself in praise and worship. And then finally, I think we see here we can begin to lift our gaze by shifting our emphasis from talking to God about our anxiety to talking to our anxiety about our God. Notice the shift here. He starts with, you know, my tears have been my food day and night. God, this is what it feels like. And he just pours out his heart, which is awesome. But then he makes a shift and he starts saying, but I will praise him, my savior, my God, the Lord who directs his love at night. His song is with me. The psalmist begins to remind himself of who God is, his character and his goodness. The, the, the shift is so important here. And I think we have to intentionally make that shift when we're bringing our anxiety before God because there is a way to pray about your anxiety where you will end up feeling more anxious than when you started. Because you'll just start naming it and you'll start putting it out on the table. And if you just leave it there with an amen, you're gonna start feeling overwhelmed. So you gotta make that shift and start talking to it about your God and start speaking God's promises over your anxiety that he is always good, Psalms 119, that he is always with me, Joshua 1, that he is faithful, Hebrews 10, that he loves me deeply, Romans 8, that he gives me power for my life, 2 Timothy 1, that he gives me hope, Romans 15, that he has a good plan for my life, Jeremiah 29, that he can be trusted, Hebrews 10, that there is no weapon formed against me that will succeed, Isaiah 54, that his promise never fail, Joshua 21. So you can take that anxiety. You can take that worry. You may feel big and weighty and overwhelming, but you should know Jesus is greater. And not, that's not just a bumper sticker. That is true. And so I speak Jesus over my fear and my anxiety. Jesus, who himself experienced a level of anxiety that most of us can't even comprehend. As he prayed in the garden, Matthew records that he was deeply troubled anguished, distressed. He got depressed into the depths, but he rose by the power of almighty God and he conquered death and he was victorious. And now he triumphs over everything that's coming against you today, including your anxiety, because he is greater. And so if you find yourself in a place this morning where the what ifs are running rampant and you feel a little overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and sadness and despair because as our Hunger Games quote says, sometimes things happen to people that they're not equipped to deal with. I wanna suggest it may be time to consider some other what ifs that you could start filling your mind with. Like when we read those words in scripture, don't be anxious about anything. As trite and simplistic and naive as that may sound to you, what if? What if that's possible? 
What if that isn't just a stop it, don't be anxious by a distant, perturbed God? But what if your loving Heavenly Father is saying to you right now, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, crawl up here on my lap. You don't have to be anxious. I'm here. We'll get through this together. Cast all your cares on me, he says. What if? What if we really started doing that? Instead of trying to handle it all ourselves? Isn't it interesting, when Peter writes, cast all of your anxiety on him, there's the verse right before it that oftentimes we neglect and forget that they're tied together. But he says in the verse right before, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then he says, cast all of your anxiety. And I think that's important because oftentimes our anxiety is tied to our pride. God, I'll handle this. I'll take care of this. I can fix this. And scripture says, no, no, you can't. Humble yourselves. And then that phrase, under the mighty hand of God, just reminds us that there is a mighty hand out there who can handle your situation, but it is not your hand. It is God's hand. So what if we started offloading some of our anxiety into that mighty hand? And I love that he doesn't minimize our anxiety. He doesn't criticize our anxiety. He doesn't say you shouldn't have that. You just need more faith. Uh, Forget about it. Instead, he says, you know what? I know what that feels like. And it's real. But you don't have to carry that. You weren't designed to carry that much weight. Let me. Let me carry it. I'll even carry you if it's necessary. And why would he do that? Well, it tells us because he cares for you. He cares for you. He knows you. He knows everything that's going on in your life right now. And he cares for you. What if, what if that's true? Do you believe that? He does. He has the nail scars in his hands and in his feet that prove it. And as we begin to let go of it and cast it off, hand it to him, scripture says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will begin to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Allow him to breathe his peace over you. Amen? And now we get to come around a table as a family and be reminded of just how much he cared for us, that he was willing to leave heaven and live on this planet a sinless life and yet take our penalty. So if you have your elements, if you will take those. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and sat around a table with his friends. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this and remember me. Let's do that. And then he took the cup in the same way, blessed it, said, this is my blood, represents the new covenant that I'm making with you, that I will come back for you and I will take you to live with me forever in a place where there'll be no more pain, no more anxiety. Every time you drink of this, remember me. Let's do that. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.